we continue to explore what it means to be in communion with one another. Both highlighting, as we'll see this morning, the community, the sense of growing in our love for one another, as we just sang, and also as was just read for us, that um, passage presenting the walk to Emmaus, where those disciples were encountering Jesus. He was walking with them in the flesh, right next to them. He was even their preacher, their personal preacher. He didn't have CDs and cassettes. They just brought Jesus along as their preacher on their journey. And yet, they didn't see Him fully until, what? The breaking of the bread. In the breaking of the bread, as they gathered together for a meal, their eyes were opened in a way they weren't opened before. So both communion is both that sense of of Jesus working in a way that's beyond our understanding and so working in a way to develop and maintain and deepen our unity with one another. Our passage this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's found on page 933 of your pew Bible. I invite you to turn there with me or watch on the screen because we're really just going to walk through this uh, particular uh, passage. Because there's some specific items that uh, I want to bring out that aren't necessarily uh, um, directly obvious. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. And we pray that your spirit will work in in the same way as a walk to Emmaus. uh, For us as we read your written word, as we hear your written word proclaimed, that you would come alongside us and in the breaking of the bread, your living word would live in us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Now, in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For, to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. About the other things, I will give instructions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I want to just walk through uh, this, this passage and really look paragraph by paragraph. And the first paragraph, what Paul is presenting to the church in Corinth, is how they are in schism. They have divisions in their midst, and that's not a good thing. In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, it would be better if you didn't come together as a church. Not a good thing. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. Again, just just like last week, we can be really thankful for the messed up church in Corinth because it gives great opportunity for us to learn, hopefully, from their mistakes and not endure them ourselves. But there are divisions. There are factions. They have separated different groups of people within the church in Corinth and it is as we'll see, a denial of the gospel. Verse 20. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. The divisions that they have in their midst, they show themselves when they gather and when they come to enjoy the Lord's meal together. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper. And one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. Now what, what happens in the first century, the Lord's Supper isn't like we, we do it now. They, they had the, 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 the uh, first element and then they would have a meal together, an agape feast And then they would have the last element. So the whole gathering together was really the the Lord's Supper. It was based more on Jewish and even pagan rituals of the day. They just took them and Christianized them. Well, what was happening in Corinth when they were doing that is that instead of it being a potluck meal, it was more like a picnic. And everybody brought their own picnic basket for their own family. And if you've ever been to some picnics... Like when they have them at the symphony. You know, you know, you go to the symphony when they have outdoor concerts at the symphony. Some people, man, they go all out with their little picnic basket. And me with my bologna and cheese sandwich. 
But what was happening as they were gathering, those that were rich had huge meals. They would eat them together. Those that were poor didn't have anything. And so that's what Paul was saying. After the meal, during the course of communion, some would be drunk and others would be hungry because they didn't have any. And you were living that out in your midst. An expression of the factions in your midst. Probably, too, in Corinth, first century homes. I mean, you would have to meet in rich people's homes. Church didn't have buildings in the first century. So they met in people's homes. It had to be big homes. So rich person's home. And usually the way the home was arranged, there was a dining area and then other rooms around it. And probably what would happen in the different homes is that the rich guy's friends that owned the home, they would come into the dining room. And eat in there, and the other people in the church would be eating in the rooms around it. It's no different than now. The church had bought into the cultural arrangements of the day. Instead of the church buying into Jesus' arrangements for the day and having impact on the culture. The culture was impacting the church. And the church was simply living out church according to the ways of the culture. And Paul wants to be clear that this is horrific. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you in this matter? I do not commend you. Their habits around the Lord's Supper demonstrated their division instead of their unity. Their gathering was a denial of God's Spirit in their midst. And it was a disgrace to the poor in their midst. It was an error in the church and it needed correction. Now, in in our day, the church in general... In America, largely in the West, we've creatively done this sort of division by having economically and racially segregated churches. Largely still the case, you'll be reminded, 11 o'clock is still largely the most segregated hour in the United States, 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And a way in which we also are blind to the cultural segregation around us that is still prominent even today. This summer, we've tried to hit on some of the other issues that divide us in our midst. You know, we've, we've talked about you know, what does it mean to, to be Christian and to consider being Republican, Democrat, Independent. What does it mean to, to follow Jesus and to be a citizen and the, the different, very different, different, almost diametrically opposed perspectives that followers of Jesus can have. We've talked about the the differences and issues in our own church and in our culture around marriage, around sexuality. Trying to find what's the common ground, what's the place that we all can agree that takes us to the cross where we can affirm together what it means to follow Jesus in all these different, rather divisive areas. Now, I want you to note, one of the great things about the church in Corinth is they were diverse. I mean, they had rich and poor in their midst that were gathering in the homes. That was a good thing. 
Paul doesn't try to change that. Doesn't say, you know, well, you need to have homogeneous groups of people to grow faster, or we need to take care of the social inequalities. He doesn't even address that. Because there's something even more crucial. Because in your gathering, in your gathering in the church in Corinth, having that division is a very denial of the gospel itself. And that must be corrected before we move on anywhere else. It is a direct assault on the meaning of the Lord's Supper for there to be such division and schism in your midst. So then he moves on to then the the classic words of institution. Words that are included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, by and large. A few things different here and there, but the, the bulk, the gist is the same. So let's walk through these as Paul sees how these words, understanding the Lord's Supper, understanding communion, has impact on their situation. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. Now, Paul probably received from the Lord like everybody else did, as it was passed down from the church. Passed down from the oral tradition of the day, from the stories of what had happened with Jesus at the Last Supper with His disciples. But... Could be also with Paul. I mean, he had a little face-to-face encounter with Jesus where some things were handed to him directly. And so possibly even these words were affirmed by Jesus in his teaching to Paul. But now he's handing on and applying directly to the church in Corinth and hopefully for us. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. Now these, these words are very thick here. They're very thick with meaning. Very purposeful, each one. But it is important to recognize that it's on the night of His betrayal that Jesus does the action. wants to be clear that there's nothing we add. There's nothing we bring to the table. Everything on the table is from Jesus and Jesus alone. Because on the night that we remember, we betrayed or deserted Jesus. He was alone. He's the one that does the work at the table. And He does His work for us. The singular is used of Him and Him alone. The plural is every other time you see you in the passage. If you you prefer the appropriate word, insert y'all wherever you see you. But I was at, uh, we were at Camp Washington, Chile yesterday for the first time. And so if you want to put use in there, go right ahead. Because that's what they asked us. What do use want? It's cool. But it's clear. Everyone is plural. So it is for us. Not for, in this instance, me. Or you singularly. But for us. What Jesus has done. He took the bread... And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for y'all. Do this in remembrance of me. Took the bread. And it's a great visual. Broke it. Just like my body is broken for you. Take and eat and remember me. Me. 
we understand as, as Protestants that, that the, the bread, the cup, are a visual representation, that, that metaphor, that they represent his body. I mean, he was there when this was happening. His body was there and he was holding the bread. So we understand the is to mean it represents his body. I mean, a, a common literary uh, device. But he is doing that. His body is going to be broken for us. Remember that. Remember what I do and why I do it. In the same way, verse 25, he took the cup also after supper. See, bread before, then supper, then the cup. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. If you want more, a little more insight on the new covenant, you know, Jeremiah 31, 31 is the, the new covenant, the new way that God's going to interact with us. It's represented by His blood. That it's going to create a new pathway through the work of His Spirit. Now again, more details in Jeremiah, but it's a new thing here. I mean, it was radical for Jesus to say, here's my blood, drink it. I mean, any first century Jew would have run from blood because blood was the very thing that made them unclean. And now Jesus is saying, this is, you're used to this making you unclean. This blood now will make you clean. So drink it. And when you drink it, remember me. I, I try, when I receive communion, to take that remembrance literally and to truly close my eyes and explore just that I'm at the foot of the cross and that Jesus with his hand with his nails in his hands nails in his feet spear in his side thorns submerged into his skull blood dripping down and the fullness of his humiliation there for me there for us and that passage, Philippians 2, where Paul says that Jesus, who was, was God, did not consider equality with God something to grasp, something to hold on to. So he let it go, coming in human form as a servant. Well, there he died for you and me. Remember me, Jesus says. Remember what he did, why he did it. Have this attitude in yourselves, Paul says. In verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim his death for our sin. We proclaim, we announce, we enact our salvation, our reconciliation with our Creator. Plural recipients for the singular action that Jesus did. In that action, we who were objects of God's wrath were then made children of God. Not just that God was a little ticked off of it, at us, sent us to our room for the night without supper. We were objects of God's wrath. Destruction is what we deserve. Eternal separation from God, yet through Jesus on the cross, 
we are cleansed and enter into His presence boldly. We come to the table boldly because Jesus has brought all that's necessary. That's what we proclaim. When we come to the table, His act on our behalf makes us all equal in Jesus. Every one of us who come to the table, we are equal. What saves us is the same. So we all are exactly in the same spot in Jesus. As it's said over and over, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. No matter what, if we are in Jesus, we are of the same value and worth. There are no divisions in Jesus. If this is true, if this is real, there are no factions in Jesus. There are no cliques in Jesus. There are no in-groups or out-groups or old groups or young groups or black groups or white groups or brown groups. There are no rich or poor groups. There are no long-time member or new member groups. All are equally loved and cherished at the table. That's what we enact when we gather at communion. We are made one in Christ. And in Him alone, He does it all and brings it all to the table. We bring nothing. So we're all equal at the foot of the cross. So, Paul now sets his guns back on the situation in Corinth. What are the implications given the situation in Corinth and given the reality of the truth of the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper has direct spiritual implications, real-time implications for their interaction in the church in Corinth. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's not just a nice little... uh, Visual. It's not just a little help for our memory and for our emotion. We are participating in something that has spiritual implications. And if we do so unworthily, then we are sinning against the body and blood of Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Now hold that unworthy. What does it mean to participate unworthy? Let's put that to a side. We'll come back to that. But recognize the spiritual reality, the spiritual presence of the Spirit in such a way in this communion that if we participate unworthily, we are sinning against Jesus. We are denying Him. We are not living according to the reality of that table. So, verse 28, he tells them in Corinth, then examine yourselves then. And only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Just take time to examine yourselves to see, are you participating in a worthy manner in this meal? 
And if you're not, if you examine yourself and you're not participating appropriately, then don't go. That's in Corinth. Don't go if you're not appropriately participating. It's better for you to not come to the table. That's one of the reasons we have healing stations. To allow for folks to take that time to examine themselves and see, is it appropriate? Verse 29. Now remember, all right, examine yourselves. Okay, but examine myself according to what guideline? I mean, how do I know? What does it mean to do this worthy or not? Verse 29. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. What does he mean there to discern the body? What's commonly understood is that means we have to have the right doctrinal understanding of what the bread is. We have to be able to say the bread is the body of Christ. And if we say that, then that means we can participate worthily. I guess if that's the case, we can think whatever we want to about the blood because he doesn't mention that. Actually... That's not what he's saying. It is not a doctrinal requirement. It is a relational requirement. The only other time that Paul speaks is clearly about the Lord's Supper is page over, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, again, chapter 10, verse 16 of 1 Corinthians. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread. When he talks about body here, he's not talking about the bread being the body of Christ. He's talking about us being the body of Christ. He does it in chapter 10. He's doing it here. And then if you just read ahead to chapter 12, that's when he goes all into the idea of the body of Christ. That we are the body of Christ. Different members, but the same body. What he is saying here is not a doctrinal issue, but a relational one. If there is division among the body of believers as they gather at the table, then it's better to not eat. Because in eating and yet being divided from one another... We deny the very meaning of the table. This is our greatest example of unity. That we gather at the table of Christ together. And what he's telling the church in Corinth is, you you need to be corrected here. You need to examine yourselves and be sure these factions, these divisions, these different values you have given to one another, that they be expelled from your mind and from your experiences and from your actions because they are denying the very gospel of Jesus Christ. What is crucial for them and for us is that when we come to the table, that we examine ourselves in our relationships with others in the church. Now, if it's an issue of who Jesus is, that's a whole other arena. But that's not what we've been talking about this summer, and that's really not many issues that I've heard from folks here 
I've heard a whole bunch of others. But when we come to the table, we examine ourselves in our relationships with others in the church. And if we become aware of ways that we are causing division, that in our our negativity we are sowing seeds of schism, that we see and recognize how we value certain people in the church more than we value others, then we need to deal with it, stop it, and give it to Jesus. And then, run to the table. Verse 30. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. See what's happening in Corinth because they are participating in the Lord's Supper but only doing it as a rote thing but not in their relationships with each other. God is bringing judgment on the church to wake them up. Discipline. Not punishment, but discipline. Teaching them, the church as a whole. Notice that the the discipline is on the gathered community. It's the church as a whole. It's not just on the offending parties. Is on the church as a whole to wake them up and say, that's how significant this is. That's what a denial of the true meaning of the Lord's Supper you are enacting in Corinth. You have let the ways of the world influence you instead of God influencing you and you influencing the world. Now, it's important to recognize not every time that we're sick, and every time somebody dies, is it some time of God's judgment. In this situation, that's the case. And Paul makes it clear. And that's why it's so significant when we come to the table that we really examine ourselves. Verse 31, But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The whole point of examining ourselves and God's discipline is for us to be changed and to enact the spiritual reality that we will celebrate in a moment in our relationships with each other. So then, verse 33, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. What's to be the response in Corinth? It's to wait on each other. It's to to welcome each other. It's to to serve each other. Work it out where when you gather in this meal, you don't demonstrate these divisions. Work it out in your heart and in your mind so that those divisions are eradicated from your very soul as you bring them before God. The symbolism of coming to this meal, the same bread, the same cup, that we are all equal at the foot of the cross, is ours to celebrate in this moment and ours to live out. If you harbor a grudge towards someone else in the church, deal with it. Either let it go, confess it to the Lord, 
Or go and speak to that one, confess to them, make yourself clean. Examine yourselves in this moment, in your relationships with one another, in your relationships with the church, with church leadership, with church history. If you're still harboring a grudge about the split, let it go. If you're harboring a grudge about those that are harboring a grudge about the split, let it go. If you're harboring a grudge over some decision, maybe a mistake that was made, or maybe it was the right decision, but it was a decision you disagreed with, let it go. Or if it's with peers, with one another, whatever the anger, whatever the seeds of schism that you sow in your own heart and possibly share with others, let them go. If it's the old time religion of racism, of classism, of the new versus the old, of the younger versus the older, of this way of thinking versus this way of thinking, if there are those schisms and divisions and they are coming between you and that individual, deal with them before you come to the table. Or at least recognize the effect they're having on you that is causing you to, in your own actions, to be a very denial of the spiritual reality that we experience at this table. It is that important. For the Lord's Supper is a spiritual reality that we enact, that we receive, that we, we carry out with one another. A spiritual reality of our unity. The unity that comes only at the cross, only in Jesus. Now, as the uh, musicians are coming into place, what I'll invite you to do during our time of uh, communion, uh, we'll, we have, we'll have both communion stations, we'll have healing stations, but take some time to examine yourself, to see if there are the seeds of schism within you. And if the need is to come to a healing station first, then go there. You don't even have to tell them what the issue is. Just say, pray for me. Or maybe you just where you're seated. Just time of confessing that to the Lord. Or maybe you want to come and just kneel here on the platform. Kneel before the Lord for your own personal time of examination and confession before God. Do it. Do what in any of those ways are for you in order to examine yourself before God. And then, once you've examined yourself, you've, you've recognized that the Lord has brought it to your attention, don't stew in it. Run to Him. Confess it. And then run to the table. Don't knock anybody over, though. Don't break in line. But come to the table. Because it's not about you being good enough. It's about us recognizing our brokenness, our fallenness, confessing it before God and receiving His grace and mercy through His sacrificial love, remembering His death for us. Friends, this is that significant because it's this schism, these kinds of division, these seeds of negativity, of division that are sown among us that, with, that grieve the Spirit and withhold the work of God in our midst.
Let us come receive from the Lord, from His table, the spiritual reality and unity that we have only in Him. It was on the night that our Lord was betrayed, that He was deserted, that He was turned in by His closest friends, that He took the bread. And he broke it, saying, this is my body that is broken for you. Take and eat. On the same night, he took the cup, said, this is my blood that is shed for you from my pierced body with nails and spears and thorns. It's for you. For the forgiveness of sins. The blood of the new covenant. The new way that God relates to us. A once and for all sacrifice. Take and drink. All of you. For I will not drink of this fruit of the vine. Until I drink it anew. With you. My Father's kingdom. Let us pray. Gracious God. We pray that you will take these elements in this time. We lift it up unto you. Will you examine us? Help us to be examined. Help us to be pure before you. To recognize our own fallenness, sin, the division or schisms, the distrust or anger. Show it to us. Cleanse us, Lord. For we want to be used by you for your purposes, for your good. Use this time to cleanse us, to make us one, to continue to take us to the next step to being one in you. Nourish us, feed us spiritually in ways that are beyond our understanding as we take what represents you in this bread and this cup. We surrender all that we are, individually and as a community. We surrender it to you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.